In this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, the group will be wrapping up a study of the New Testament book of Philippians called Finding Joy in the Journey. In four episodes, we'll have gone chapter by chapter through this letter Paul wrote from prison to a church that he helped start in the city of Philippi. And so this time, it is chapter four that will be our focus, and it's a chapter full of quote-worthy, soundbite-type sentences and phrases like these. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I have learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. It is a chapter that's full of reasons for finding joy in the journey. And so study Philippians 4 with the Discover the Word group beginning next. And it is good to have you here at the front end of another hour of studying the Bible together. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from our Daily Bread Ministries. And a few episodes ago, we embarked on this four-part, chapter-by-chapter study of Philippians. Rasul Berry led the conversations about chapter one, setting up the context and the finding joy in the journey theme. Then Bill Crowder took us through chapter two and the emphasis on serving and how Jesus displayed the ultimate servant leadership. Daniel Ryan Day at chapter three, that was the Beware of the Dogs chapter. And now Elisa Morgan is going to guide us through all these quotable moments in chapter 4 and help us see how the whole letter fits together. And remember, if you missed any previous parts of this study, our discovertheword.org website gives you access to parts 1 through 3. And our website is at discovertheword.org. All right, so Philippians chapter 4. Let's dig in. What a rich conversation we have been having. We are in the book of Philippians, and a lot of people will say it's their favorite letter that Paul wrote. Why do you think they do that? Why does it appeal so broadly? I think the emphasis on joy. Mm -hmm. It's something that a lot of people don't have, but they desperately want. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in a lot of ways, not just the joy, but joy in the context of pain, Mm -hmm. in the context of suffering. You know, I say rejoice. I mean, it's beautiful. It is. Philippians is a short ish letter from Paul. And it has such a rhythm. So as we start chapter four, we want to make sure we connect the several first verses to what we've learned in chapter three. Daniel, since you led us in chapter three, just summarize, especially the ending point. We call it an ending point. Paul continues Mm -hmm. to write. But what did we learn in our last couple of conversations? In our last conversation, we started in verse 15 that talks about unity. Mm -hmm but then goes on to describe people that are living as enemies of the cross of Christ and the different aspects of what that could be and all of that related to citizenship and that our citizenship should be in heaven. But these people that are living Mm -hmm. as enemies of the cross of Christ are serving themselves in many ways. Their God is their belly, their end is destruction. Mm -hmm. And all of chapter three is kind of devoted to this group of people that Paul is so concerned about that he's writing with tears in his eyes because he sees them as enemies. When we think of people who might be viewed as ideological enemies, it's so easy to look on them with anger or even hatred. 
Paul looked on him with tears. That's instructive. And he's going to move forward with that same emotion as he reveals a very specific disagreement within the body Mm -hmm. of Philippi. As we look at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 4 today, let's back up and pick it up at chapter 3, verse 20. So, Russell, would you start at 3.20, and then we'll go around and go ahead and read 4, 1 to 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Eudia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is a big turn, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's very personal very specific, but comes out of the context of the overarching themes of you you don't belong to this world. And this is rare for Paul. I mean, that's a good point. Most of the time when he uses somebody's name in a letter, it's commendation, Mm -hmm. even with Clement, Mm -hmm. you know. Or Epaphroditus uh, that you asked. Yeah, or Epaphroditus Mm -hmm. and Timothy. For him to call somebody out in a letter that's going to be read publicly in the presence of the entire congregation That's pretty strong. It is strong. And it's uh, giving way to the fact that it's so strong. This is probably what has brought the tears to his eyes. It's so personal Mm -hmm. that he's naming people by names. And there's some kind of a problem. We don't know what it is, but what can we kind of guess it is from everything Paul has been writing about and from the phrase he uses, he tells them to do what in verse two? Live in harmony. To live in harmony, another translation, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Hmm. Okay. So there's something that's caused a division between these two women Mm -hmm. that seems to be spilling over into the life of the church that's causing Paul to have to address it to the entire assembly so that they see this is not acceptable. In order to underline that, let's look at a couple of the other instances where Paul uses that same phrase, be of Mm -hmm. the same mind. Russell, I'm going to just give out assignments. If you could get chapter 1, verse 27, and then Daniel chapter 2, verse 2. And Bill, this is going to be a little bit different, but it's from your chapter, chapter 2, verse 5, and then back to Russell, chapter 3, verse 15, and then back to Daniel, chapter 3, 19. And let's just go around and read them. Got it. Philippians 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Yeah, in chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 5, have this mind or attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then chapter 3, verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, God will make clear to you. And then chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the negative. This is what you're not to do. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Instead of having the same mind of Christ, 
their minds are set on earth. All right, this is the contrast. What does that really mean in everyday life to have the same mind and imagine it within a body of Jesus in the church? Well, again, in my translation, he urges them to live in harmony. Mm -hmm. And I think the word harmony is really good because being of the same mind speaks more to unity than to uniformity. That's good. The harmony instead mm-hmm. of everybody singing melody. The harmony is everybody contributes in their own way, but to the common thought. It makes you think of Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, you know, about the body of Christ and how every member is vitally important yeah. and you can't say one isn't. You know, so it doesn't mean all thinking the same thing necessarily, but it means agreeing in harmony. Yeah, it's like rowing in the same direction or moving in the same direction yeah. together. And we talked about what might be the problem. Bill, I think you mentioned there could be a theological difference. What other kinds of differences, especially based on what we've heard Paul say up to now, what kinds of concerns would be important to him that he'd want people to think the same on rather than in disharmony? I mean, one of the things that jumps out to me is the fact he says that they've struggled beside me in the work of the gospel. And one of the things he's talked about a lot is like sharing in Christ's suffering and pain and stuff like that. And when we're under a lot of pressure and tension and in painful circumstances, sometimes we start fighting with each other because of that pressure that we feel. So maybe there's something there. I found as a pastor that oftentimes when there's conflict, you know, in the, in the body, in the church, that there is a sense in which all the parties involved want a certain ministry effort to succeed. Mm-hmm. They might be serving in the same team, but they have a different way and approach of doing it and they come with different assumptions about the right way to do it. And so I think about Philippians 2 when uh, Bill led us through when he says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus and be of the same mind together. And, and part of that had to do with doing nothing out of selfish ambition. And so I wonder if there's a possibility that they were even trying to do the right things or serve, but they had a little bit of themselves in the mix of what they were wanting to do and it was causing conflict. That's good, Russell. I I also find it interesting that Paul does not specify, Mm -hmm. which kind of hints at a couple of things possibly. One is that it's a widely enough known problem that he doesn't have to go into any details. <laughs> Everybody knows what the problem is, including Euodia and Syntyche. The other thing from, again, my pastoral background, it's kind of good that he doesn't because this way you can take this and apply it to a lot of different situations. It's like when mm-hmm. Paul says, the Lord gave to me a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't tell us what it was, which means we can look for God's sufficient grace in our thorns in the flesh, too, even if they aren't the exact same mm-hmm. thing he had. Mm-hmm. Likely, Yodia and Syntyche are leaders in the church. They're common Greek names. The issues could be things from personality differences mm-hmm. all the way to were they supporters of Paul or not supporters of Paul, or were they being legalistic or not being legalistic? It could be a lot of things. What, what I'm taken by, and we're going to look into this a little bit more, he talks about his true companion. He talks about Clement. He talks about the rest of his co-workers. And then he uses this phrase whose names are written in the book of life, it so normalizes the reality that we're going to have conflict in the church mm-hmm. among believers, among those whose yeah. names are written in the book of life. And, and we, you know, we sometimes are stunned at that, but yep. they are. Yeah. And the importance of in love, and Jesus offers a great model for how to do this in the gospels of the fact that there needs to be accountability. And in mm-hmm. times when there's tension, 
to just ignore that tension causes more problems. And there are times when we do have to actually address issues in our community. And let's go to verse one there. Bill, would you read that again? Listen to how Paul begins his calling out of this mm-hmm. situation. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. listen to all those words mm-hmm. of love. I mean, you know, you've heard the thing about you need to give 10 attaboys for one correction. Right. I mean, Paul is calling them into remembering how mm-hmm. much they're loved, how precious they are. And then he's going to say, let's be of the same mind. And he's even doing that with Euodia and Syntyche, because after he pleads with them to be of the same mind, he also says, help these women who have contended at my side. Mm-hmm. And, right. And he's like, hey, these folks have been with me. They've served with me. And the other part about that that we see is that in this process of reconciliation, it's a group project. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just say you two work it out somewhere. Yeah. He's appealing, you know, to the community to help them reconcile. And I think that that also is a, a valuable picture mm-hmm. of what it looks like when there is conflict that we can either stand aside and just kind of be bystanders. We can sometimes make the problem worse and be cheerleaders, <laughs> or we can be mediators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matthew 18, Jesus gives a process for church discipline, and the last step is to tell it to the church. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the step where Paul is at this point. He's mm-hmm. telling it to the whole mm-hmm. assembly because it must be dealt with so that it doesn't hinder the work that they've all worked together for so much. And the call is to be of the same mind, to live in harmony. And we're going to see as we continue looking into chapter four, how Paul is fleshing out those principles he's put in place into exhortations of how to apply them. start to the conclusion of our look at the New Testament letter to the Philippians. In this episode of the podcast, we're focusing on chapter four. And in the next segment, we're going to discover four words here in Philippians four that are actually the foundation for all that we've been reading about in Philippians that encourages us to find joy in the journey. Remembering these four words is going to be a game changer. And while that may sound like an exaggeration, like marketing hype, you know, like overpromising, actually it isn't. These four words held the key for Paul and the Philippians, and they hold the key for us as well in finding joy in the journey. And actually, I'm having a tough time not telling you what those four words are right now, but I think they'll end up being more memorable and have a bigger impact if we just let the next part of the conversation develop. And then when we get to them, it'll be like... Yeah, a light goes on, and you'll see the importance of these four words. So as we've been saying, you know, Paul's turned from really laying out principles, almost theology, into some practical application in chapter four. And the first topic he touches is deeply personal, one that he says brings him to tears, a conflict between two leaders, Yodia and Syntyche. He calls somebody his true companion, and then he mentions Clement. There are other people and the rest of the co-workers, so it's a real body participation time. And he moves, though, into some more instructions in verses 4 through 9. And as I net him out, what I have kind of see as a big idea for it is, how do you live as if Jesus is real in your everyday life? So maybe you can answer that. Well, it's difficult. 
Yeah. That's probably where to start because it's sometimes we live so separated from either the world of the Bible or of just the fact that we live in a very practical world where we have to do job stuff and family stuff and all that stuff. And sometimes it's stuff, hard stuff. to, mm-hmm. you know, connect our faith with everyday life. I think it probably depends on the person as to what's helpful for them. I stumbled across an ancient Christian practice a few years ago that people would keep like a piece of shell or rock or beads in their pocket mm-hmm. as like mm-hmm. a prayer symbol mm-hmm. of just an openness and a reminder of God. And I found that to be helpful as just a reminder of Jesus's presence through the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit with me. Yeah. Yeah, there was a time a number of years ago, maybe 10 years ago, when I just really kind of felt my heart kind of growing a little bit cold or numb spiritually, like I was kind of drifting. The Lord just kind of laid it on my heart to just live in the Gospels, Mm. that nothing would awaken a love for the Lord as much as just spending time in the Gospels themselves. And that was a real helpful thing to me as far as keeping walking with Christ real. Yeah, I think about, I mean, I don't know how practical this is, but there's a word that in Philippians 3, he says, I consider, Mm -hmm. you know, the things that I've lost. is not as much value compared to the surpassing value of Christ. And I I love the old, one of the older translations, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) And it's something about reckoning. I reckon it. But that sense of (laughs) reckoning, it's about my thought life. And it's about my careful evaluation of what is of more value or not. And I find that the more I am able to not just look at the stuff of the present, but see it in light of the future and eternity, it helps me put the present in its proper Mm. context, in its proper place. Mm -hmm. And that just puts it in a different light for me and helps me to realize that I need to be responding to the current day, mm-hmm. not just based on what the day holds, but based on the day mm. when Jesus returns. Mm. You know, now that we're ending our study in, in the book of Philippians, if you go back and look at the whole thing, that's really what you see this journey, this very personal discipler, this person of God, Paul, is thanking people from prison where he's suffering, reminding them that God's using everything, that God's even with him in prison there. And then, Bill, you led us into chapter two, and that is the ultimate story of God with us in his son. And then we, we go into how lousy it is when we live as if he isn't, and we mm-hmm. don't belong to him. And then he comes into these applications. I want us to read verses four through nine in chapter four and see what pops out to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Dan, you talked about a shell in your pocket as a a memory device to remind you that God is near. And Bill, you talked about reading the scriptures in verse seven, you know, 
set your hearts and minds on Christ Jesus. And the Gospels remind you of what he did. And, and Rasul, you talked about your thought life. And in verse 8, he's telling us what to think about, whatever's true and noble. Paul is capturing how we try to apply this stuff. And the big idea that popped out to me, and it, it just popped out to me as we're doing the study, the big idea is the Lord is near. Mm-hmm. He came near, he stayed near, and he is near. And just look again at those verses again. Tell me how you see the Lord is near. And then because he's near, what can we do? What do we have? I love the aspect that we can rejoice because Psalm 51 says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, the Lord will not despise. That Psalm is an invitation to say, the Lord is near in my brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I can rejoice because I have a God who, even in the midst of seeing my brokenness, seeing my sin, is near if I call out to him. Mm-hmm. And you can rejoice right? because he has made the miracle of being near. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the same token, because he's near, we can live with a measure of confidence in him so we don't have to be anxious about things because we have him and we can go to him in prayer. And in a very practical sense, Paul's in jail writing this. Yes. God is near. God is Paul, near. Paul, in the midst of a very difficult physical circumstance, he is near in the very tense relationship between Yodia and Syntyche. And as a result of Paul's circumstance, he can rejoice. In Yodia and Syntyche's situation, they can be gentle mm-hmm. with each other, even in the midst of their conflict because of God's presence with them. If you go back and look at these verses one more time and look at his kind of commands that mm-hmm. come after you put in place the context that the Lord is near. Let me just start in verse four, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because mm-hmm. that does sound like a command and it's hard to command somebody to mm-hmm. rejoice. Mm-hmm. It feels like rejoicing should be something organic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree, but I also think about the times in my life where by doing something like rejoicing, my perspective's changed. On the circumstances that I'm in. Okay, so then when you're told rejoice, how do you actuate that? How do you rejoice? What do you mean by rejoicing? Yeah, so maybe an example is one of the practices of writing down a few things you're thankful for every day. So even in the midst of a situation where you don't feel like you have anything to be thankful for, the practice of finding those couple things begins to change your perspective and you're like, okay, no, okay, my life's not as bad as I thought, even if it's really rough, yeah. <laughs> you know, or whatever. There are several commands here that I think on their surface are counterintuitive because we often think that they just come like thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it was really in reading the Bible that, you know, I'm like, oh, wait, think about these things. So I used to think my mind was like a stream of just consciousness ideas that would just come and I had no control over. But Mm -hmm. then you start to realize, wait, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. There's an active process. And in the Mm -hmm. same way in the Psalms, when David says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, Mm -hmm. bless his name. And then he starts to give it. How? How am I going to do that? Who forgives all our sins? Mm -hmm. Who heals all my diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Preach it. Fills it with good good things. (laughs) Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So I can actively participate in reflecting on God's goodness so that therefore I can help myself rejoice. Yes, I think we're getting it. As we go through these verses, and I'm just going to walk us through them again, rejoice in the Lord always. He even makes Mm -hmm. it worse. (laughs) I will say it again. Rejoice. Yes. Let your gentleness be evident. The Lord is near. Okay, now let me keep going. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request 
the Lord is near. Okay. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, etc., think about these things. The Lord is near. Yeah. Whatever you've learned or received, put it into practice. And the peace of God will be with you. Mm-hmm. The Lord is near. It's almost like an antiphonal reading when mm. you mm-hmm. realize that's what Paul is expressing when he says, I understand that my chains have served to advance the gospel. The Lord is near with me here. The Lord is near with you there. And and I think about my practice is often I get into my car and I look at the passenger seat and I think, okay, the Lord is near. And I just almost imagine Jesus sitting there mm-hmm. and I welcome him there. And I realize I'm not driving alone. Or when we sit down at the table to record, there's another chair there. And we often say that's for the listener, but it's also for the Lord to be near. Maybe these things that seem impossible to us, rejoicing always, not being anxious about anything, etc., are possible as Paul's writing from experience when we remember that the Lord is near. So there you have them, the four words that hold the key to basically all we've been talking about in Philippians. The Lord is near. That perspective changes so much when we remember it. Good times, bad times, all times. The Lord is near. Well, the next part of the conversation about Philippians 4 is going to run into one of the more familiar Bible verses of our day. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can almost go to the level of absurdity. I can do all things through Christ. Mm -hmm. That mean I can bench press a bus? No. (laughs) No. It doesn't even mean I can dunk a basketball. I can't do that either. Yeah, but the t-shirts and the jewelry and the books, I mean, they're all so inspirational. I can do all things. Philippians 4.13, after this short break. Now, Discover the Word is a Bible study and Bible engagement outreach of Our Daily Bread Ministries. And I would encourage you to look at the wealth of resources and Bible study materials and books that are available from our Our Daily Bread Publishing Group. And because I know of your interest in studying the Bible, I'd like to recommend an excellent book titled Adventuring Through the Bible, Home Edition, A Guide to the Entire Bible. This would be a great addition to your Bible study aid library. Adventuring Through the Bible was written by Ray Stedman, one of the leading expository preachers of the 20th century. And it's strategically designed to help you better understand the big picture of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, by walking step-by-step with you through each book of the Bible, all 66 books. To elevate your Bible study, order a copy of Adventuring Through the Bible Home Edition when you go to the Our Daily Bread Publishing website and search for it there. Go to odbp.org. That's ODBP for Our Daily Bread Publishing, odbp.org, and then search for Adventuring Through the Bible. All right, so now let's listen as Elisa continues leading the group through Philippians chapter 4. And uh, we'll pick up the conversation at verse 10 on our way to verse 13, and that I can do all things statement. As we get to verse 10 in chapter 4 of Philippians, I think there's a little bit of a turn. And I want us to go ahead and just read these verses straight up 
And then think about what we talked about in our last conversation and how is it connected and what is Paul really talking about? Because there's context here behind the scenes, behind the words that we probably have lost in this you know, meandering journey we've done through Philippians. But uh, Russell, would you start us off in verse 10? I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Powerful words. Yeah, and just yeah. about anybody's memorized, I can do all things through Christ mm-hmm. who gives me strength. Also confusing though, because so? he starts off with how excited he is that they're showing concern for him, but then is like, but I don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like a thank you, no thank you, uh-huh. but thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, so. but not sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's great. Well, what has he just talked about? You know, what have we just covered? We focus on the Lord is near, and so therefore you can rejoice. Mm-hmm. Be at peace, be at not peace. have anxiety. Mm-hmm. You can be content because ah. the Lord is near. There you go. So let's put that up front. You can be content because the Lord is near. Now, let's read these words again. Bill? But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What is he talking about? Well, as you get further along, as you're going to lead us, Elisa, they were supporting him apparently financially Mm -hmm. and also emotionally because they were sending guys like Epaphroditus to kind of help him and be with him and encourage him. And we are going to get to that. But just to focus in on this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, this secret to contentment. Paul is actually rejoicing because the Lord is near still. He's able to Mm -hmm. do that. What do we know about Paul being in need? It happens quite a few times in his (laughs) story. At one point, he goes through a whole litany of different terrible circumstances that he's experienced, shipwrecks, being hungry for long periods of time, mm-hmm. getting bit by a snake. In fact, let's read that. <laughs> That's in Second Corinthians chapter 11. I think it's verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been naked and cold. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Mm. He sounds like the first Dr. Seuss. (laughs) (laughs) I was in need on the ground. I was in need on the tree. I was in need. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, you think about all of those things were times when he was in need. But there are also times when he was just in need because he didn't have anything. And he even talks in some of his letters about the fact that I did not demand support from you. 
In fact, I took support from others so that I wouldn't have to burden you with my support. I worked with my own hands yeah. making tents right. so that I didn't have to become a burden to you. And it's almost like here with the Philippians, when he was there, he was not a burden to them, but now he's somewhere else, and they're kind of picking up some slack and trying to help him. There's a, a way in which the Philippians are participating yeah. in Paul's contentment exactly. here, and, and that is different. You know, you see him with his tender care, you know, wanting to relieve them of the burden mm-hmm. of everything, and so he, he works himself as a tent maker. But here, he is rejoicing that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And then they began to have an opportunity to show it. In fact, a lot of people say that Philippians is basically a thank you note, Mm -hmm. a thank you note to the church at Philippi Mm -hmm. for sending funds, for sending people, for encouraging and standing with Paul. It reminds me of those times where either A, I've expected a thank you and haven't gotten it and how I felt, or the times where I did something and somebody thanked me and I didn't expect it Mm -hmm. and how good that felt. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the second part is at least to shade on the color of what Paul's experiencing here is it's like, you've renewed your concern for me. I'm so excited about that. That was really encouraging to me. I didn't need it necessarily in the same way that I've needed it before, but I'm really thankful for it. I've read this passage and been trained in it a lot from the time of being a missionary and raising support and writing thank you letters and update letters. And this was very much something that was framed. And so one of the things I see when he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. I think what he's saying is the motivation. I'm not trying to be manipulative or stroke your ego because I'm trying to get something from you. But there's a deeper truth that says, because I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. At the same time, I know there's an opportunity here for you to help share in the concerns and the challenges that I'm experiencing. But my motivation is that there's something for both of us to experience. Mm. There's something that I can share with you about contentment because I'm okay. But there's also a gratitude that I have that you are as a co-laborer coming alongside of me. And now I'm giving you this sense of insight, you know what I mean? And I, and I know what that's like as a missionary for people to be excited and even inspired by my lifestyle and being like, you know, when I go visit churches and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm just encouraged by the work that you're doing. And I'm like, I'm thankful for your partnership because we need each other. Mm, that's profound. We don't yeah. think about that too often. We don't understand, I don't think clearly, how God uses each other yeah. in our lives to create contentment. And I think that's one of the reasons why that phrase one another appears mm-hmm. so many times mm-hmm. in the New Testament, because over and over again, the New Testament is just reminding us that we aren't in this alone. We're part of a larger thing than just us and ours. And that the more we pull together with one another, mm. <laughs> the more we really portray the heart of Christ for each other. Let me just add to that real quick, because I think it has everything to do with the Lord is near. Mm-hmm. Because there's a tension that exists between asking or making your requests known to other people mm. and feeling a sense of resentment if they say no. Mm-hmm. Right. Or a sense of bitterness if Ooh. I don't understand that the Lord is near. But if I understand the Lord is near, mm-hmm. I can invite you in to what God is doing in my life. If that's financial support or some other type of means. And if the Lord doesn't lead you in that direction, I can still be OK with that and OK with you mm-hmm. because the Lord is near. He's my provision. I'm just being in obedience of making the opportunity known. 
But whether you say yes or no or however you respond to my request, the Lord is near. So it's not that I'm coming from a need from you. I'm coming out of a need from God. That's so helpful. And there are other times when we are embarrassed to ask others or nervous to ask others Mm -hmm. because we think we're supposed to trust God or it makes us feel vulnerable Mm -hmm. and humbled. Mm -hmm. And yet the Lord is near and he's wanting to woo us all to understand our communal needs and that he wants to use slash bless other people by the opportunity to participate. And so when we withhold that invitation, help, I need help, we're prohibiting them from participating in something God might be inviting them into. Mm -hmm. And remember, he opened the chapter by talking about his co-workers, the people who had joined with him and who were already participants with him. Now he's thankful that they're participating with him, even if it's in a different way. So we've talked about the secret of contentment, and the answer is always Jesus, right? That's actually what he says. I have learned the secret, in verse 12, of being content In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Okay, what does that really mean? Is it sitting in a room alone with God and not having any food, Mm -hmm. not being able to pay our electric bill, you know, Mm -hmm. can't put gas in the car and we're fine? What does that look like? Then and now. I wonder if it might be helpful to think about what the opposite is. So to sit in discontentment, how does that shape us? What does that do to us? It just really imprisons us, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the more we dwell on it, the more we think about it, the more it makes our situation feel worse, feels like it gets more out of control. It changes how we view others. It changes mm-hmm. how we view God. I mean, one thing I'm noticing in the NIV where verse 13 says, I can do all this through him who yeah. gives me strength, is that the mm. this is the ability to be content in whatever yeah. circumstance. So what if contrary to what might be applied in an athletic orientation primarily or whatever, and not that there aren't implications for what that can mean in a, in a competition. But what if the greater challenge that Paul is reveling in here is the sufficiency of my lot, whatever my lot God has called me to say, it is well with my soul. Yeah. And that overcoming the demand that I have internally for circumstances to reflect my desires is the is even a greater challenge than whatever challenge I might face externally. And that is the thing that he's found the Lord is near in. You can almost go to the level of absurdity. I can do all things through Christ. Mm-hmm. That mean I can bench press a bus? Yeah. No. <laughs> it doesn't even mean I can dunk a basketball. I can't do that either. But I read one teacher on this passage, and we talk a lot here about how words have ranges of meaning. And he said the word do part of the range of meanings is that it could be translated endure. Mm. I can endure all things through Christ because of his strength. I like that, Bill. The secret to contentment is doing, enduring all things through Christ. And and what you've just illustrated there is even in chains, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 10, or sharing in Christ's sufferings, as we saw in chapter 3, verse 10, (laughs) the secret of contentment is Jesus. It is our relationship with him. And it's a communal relationship that's not just us, but it can be just us. And that's where it comes from, is him. Yeah, because the Lord is near. Yeah, it's because the Lord is near. There are those four words again. 
the foundation to the secret of contentment and the underlying reason why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. Well, in the next part of the conversation, we come to the final words of Paul's letter to the Philippians. So how does he close this letter? What are the last things he wants to say that will stick in their minds? Let's listen. We're moving down into chapter 4, verse 14. And these are some of Paul's final, final remarks. I was struck in reading them at how specific they are and how personal and how contextualized they are. And yet there's a big theme. In chapter 4, he's really giving us ways to stand firm together today, as well as for the Philippians. But in this last little section, he's kind of talking about giving and receiving. So as we enter that, let's think for a second, which do you prefer, (laughs) giving or receiving, and why? Mm. Yeah, I feel like I know the right answer is, is, is <laughs> the to right get, answer. but then there's like, I'm Reality. The, I was the youngest, <laughs> yeah. I was the baby, I like getting stuff, you know what I mean, <laughs> I really do. But I also, I think my default is to enjoy, like I know I like receiving. I'm often surprised at how much joy I get in giving. Yeah, exactly. It is so rewarding yes. to give in a way and watch people really receive. Yeah. And then I have my lessons on watching people receive and think, do I receive that well? Because some people really receive well. So Paul continues this discussion on contentment and returns to the theme of partnership, which is so interesting to me. Let's read verses 14 to 20. And it's a bit of a digression, it seems to me. And it goes back to Bill, some of the things we talked about in our prior conversation about what was he thinking about? You renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And now he's starting to explain that bit. So let's go around and read 14 to 20. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 19 feels almost like the close of the parentheses to verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches. And let's again put the context in front of us. I assigned some of these verses to understand what is the need that he's talking about. Um, Let's read those for context. Okay, I've got Philippians 2. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 1, 29 and 30, For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, 
since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Okay, and then chapter 2, verses 29 and 30. So welcome Epaphroditus in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give us. There's this amazing giving, sharing. And in verse 14, where we're focusing our thoughts today, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And what is he saying about anybody else who did or didn't help him? Well, he's just pointing out that they were the ones. They were the ones. That just brings so much context, I think, to this whole letter is that emotion that Paul's feeling for them, that love and care that he feels for them. Appreciation. The appreciation. There's just so much history here that he's pulling off of and very grateful for. These long-term relationships. Randy Richards, I think, helped us understand a condition called patron and client roles. Do you hear that in Paul's language that he's trying to honor the I think he's trying to avoid it. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to avoid the patron client. And, and explain what that was, Bill, the yeah, patron client. In the patron client thing, he used the example of say you're a baker and your bakery burns down or the price of barley's gone up or something. Well, you have a patron that you go to to represent you and to try and help you through those things and so as a baker, you're the client of this wealthy patron. So every morning you go to the patron's house and you are welcomed in and maybe you have a need like the barley prices. And so he's going to go and negotiate with a friend of his who is a patron of maybe the farmer who grows the barley. And they come to an agreement that helps you without hurting the other guy. The patron client thing was so thoroughly transactional that there are times when it seems like Paul is really exercising himself to avoid being being perceived in that way. Paul is trying to avoid that because there's an implicit obligation Mm -hmm. on the part of the client, and his obligation isn't to any human patron, but to the Lord. I feel like that really does jump out in this because over and over again, that's why there's maybe some confusion here that we feel like we talked about the confusion of thank you, but no thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you shared in this, but I didn't need it. Like he's trying to make it clear as he goes, like this isn't a unequally yoked relationship where there's a person of power who has money and then someone who's doing the stuff. It's like, no, we're partners in this together. We're doing this ministry together. By giving financially, you're joining in this and not just financially, right, but emotionally supportive and things like that. And the reality is that the threat is you're going to share in the joy and you're Mm -hmm. going to share in the sufferings of Christ. You know, Paul has been very clear about how he has suffered with Christ. In verse 18, the last part of it, I think he also lifts up the gifts out of this transactional kind of a formula, as you were saying, Bill, and the words are, mm-hmm. they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, mm-hmm. pleasing to God. That's a different kind of language, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's language that is echoing back from the Old Testament. Offerings being an aroma, a sweet aroma to God, uh, acceptable sacrifices. And I think going back to the patron-client conversation, the idea is in this context to participate and to share toward a joint mission together in a way that we all have a part to play. And so as opposed to this being transactional and about me giving you a receipt for, you know, what you've contributed. And so him using the word sharing and being thankful and rejoicing and having something to offer is, is I think an opportunity to reframe 
the dynamics as they might exist in the Roman world where it's like, okay, now I have power over you and this Mm -hmm. is the type of thing to something like Mm -hmm. we're all building God's kingdom. We're doing it in different ways, but together. Yeah. One thing I'm stumbling on in this though, is I'm also hearing on the other side, how many times these ideas have been manipulative and abused in the church. How do we navigate that in a setting like this? That verse, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. That was a check in my spirit when I had raised support for, you know, hmm. throughout the years. Cause I'm like, yo, I need this in order to get a paycheck. <laughs> like I am seeking to get. And I think there's a part of that, that there's no easy answer to what you described. Mm-hmm. There's an internal posture that is pushing me. But this verse was very helpful for me to say, am I concerned about what's credited to somebody else's account and them being able to mm-hmm. see what God is doing? That's going to change my language. It's going to change my motivation versus it just being about, hey, this is what I need. Because then I'm going to try to manipulate you into getting as much as I want. It's mm-hmm. very hard work. And Paul doesn't make it easy. He simply underlines the value of partnership. You know, I think in these comments, he's using his own specific situation. The ultimate is that the gifts that the Philippians gave through Epaphroditus to Paul were given from a Roman situation of Christians who'd come to know Jesus to help out Paul. I mean, it's in their context. But the ultimate gift here is that they are a fragrant offering to God. Mm Yeah. That's the bottom line. The word is and in verse 19. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to God. And, and, not necessarily causal here. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches. But we live in a body, a partnership of people, the church, the big church, where we're dependent upon each other. And what we give to each other is not for manipulation, it's to honor each other and to honor our God. Ending in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Because the Lord is near. Because the Lord is near. Yeah, Paul's letter to the Philippians, finding joy in the journey because the Lord is near. This has been another great study together as we've gone chapter by chapter through this New Testament letter to the Philippians. Hope you've come to a deeper and more complete understanding of this important section of Scripture that can so shape how we live out our lives as followers of Christ. At the table with you are your friends Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And in the final segment of this conversation, they're going to do kind of a debrief on the study. And then they have at least one more insight that will add an important piece to how you read Philippians. All right, but first, let's take a peek ahead to what's coming up on the next Discover the Word podcast. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, we're going to dip back into our program archives and go back about 10 years to when Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan welcomed Seminary professor Sid Buzzell to lead a discussion about a familiar passage in the book of Hebrews that may not be about what you always thought it was about. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, that verse is about the Bible, right? Or is it? The problem with teaching that the Bible says something it doesn't say is a twofold problem. First of all, we're teaching that the Bible is saying something it doesn't say. Not a good idea. <laughs> Not, Not a, a good, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. 
But secondly, by default, when we are teaching that the Bible is saying something it doesn't say, we are not teaching that the Bible says something it does say. And Hebrews 4.12 says something in this context, in this flow, that is absolutely essential. And so is that verse about the Bible? And if it isn't, what is it about? Be part of a discussion with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and our friend Dr. Sid Buzzle on the next Discover the Word podcast. All right, we have taken four episodes to go chapter by chapter through this important part of the New Testament. And so to conclude this study of Philippians that we've titled Finding Joy in the Journey, let's pull our chairs up to the table and join the group as they talk about thank you notes. Have you ever received a thank you note that you kept because it was so important to you? Yeah, I actually brought one with me. It was a team I coached for my son. I think they were nine, maybe. It's a tiny little card. Mm -hmm. And in tiny little letters, it says, Coach, thank you. And then look at the back. And the back, it says, To Coach Day from Calvin. And he drew little pictures in it. Look, it's got a little soccer ball and a net. But just the amount of time that a nine-year-old... thank you, dear coach. I had so much fun this season. I liked it when we went to... Fun Depot. Yeah, which Calvin. was the <laughs> I was the general manager of Family Entertainment Center, That's and precious. so we went there on a day it was raining, and we did a practice inside, and then I let them play afterwards, That's which they precious. loved. But just the time that it's for like a nine-year-old by to take a time handmade. to draw this handmade card. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, this is also <laughs> a coaching thing. When our son Andy was in middle school, he played soccer and he played defender. But at the end of the season, what they did was the coach bought a soccer ball and you have a soccer ball has all the little sections on mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and each one of the kids on the team signed it with a thank you oh, for helping in with each the of team those little stuff. sections yeah mm-hmm. and i still have that soccer ball mm. and some of the notes on there especially the ones from the goalkeepers which is really really sweet specifically you know i have another i have a podcast that we do with our daily bread called where you're from and the cool thing about being able to do that podcast is, you know, you have the ability to hit reviews. But one of them wrote, this is an awesome podcast. I love the idea of taking the time to listen to where someone is coming from, even when we don't agree with everything they say. Russell has brought on some fascinating guests whose life stories and perspectives make me see things in thought-provoking ways. And it just kind of goes on to explaining. And, and I think the particular thing that moves me about those kind of reviews and thank yous that come is when people appreciate the thing that you're trying to do mm-hmm. and yeah. they get it. And yeah, it's right. like, that's exactly what I was trying mm-hmm. to do. And so it's not just like, thanks, but it's like, mm-hmm. thanks because you are contributing to hearing people's stories and perspectives. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And it's like, yes, that's what I was hoping. It's like validation. Yeah. 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 That feels so good. And I'm thinking of a note I got just a few months ago. I have a little group of women we served together in leadership at Mops International for a long time, many decades. And we gather a couple times a year for birthdays or something. And this past year, one of the five of us who had struggled with cancer for 25 years passed. And she was the youngest of all of us. Hmm. And I got a note from another friend in this group. And she thanked me for pastoring our little group. And I just, it took me back. I hadn't really thought I was pastoring. I was just being 
And it was really touching because I felt known in a way I didn't even know myself. Yeah. It was like mm. a mirror held up to me. And it may be a little awkward to talk about these things. This is if we're boasting like Daniel right. invited us to do <laughs> yeah, so inappropriately. I'm boasting in little Calvin, <laughs> not, in, not in me, right? Well, I so. think we all are. We're, yeah. we're all <laughs> boasting in the thoughtfulness behind the thank you. And as we bring this study of the book of Philippians to a close in this conversation, we're reviewing what was essentially a thank you note from Paul to the church at Philippi for their support of him, for their partnership in the gospel. There's a lot of teaching in it as Mm -hmm. well. Probably some intentional giving back to them reflections on calling them up to be all God intended them to be. And sometimes our thank you notes do that. They reveal to us, oh, you know, I can grow in this area, or oh, I did well in that area. And and Paul uses that same tone of voice, you know, when he talks about thanking God from his heart, or, you know, with tears, he writes to them. Mm-hmm. And there, this is a very sincere thank you note, just four chapters. And I just want to encourage us to flip through the pages as we draw to a close and and share now that we've seen the whole letter, what stands out to you? And we'll start with you, Vasil, because you did chapter one for us. I'm noticing how he ends, how he began. Mm. In verse three of chapter one, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. (laughs) And so he starts with thanking God for them, which is also Mm. a way of thanking them for themselves. But a whole part of that is remembering. And that's part of what thanking does, right? I think back about the situation that Jesus, you know, that we see in the gospels where he heals 10, but one, only one comes Mm. back and says, thank you. And that aspect of remembering that there's something virtuous, there's something forming about remembering what God has done in my life, remembering what others have done in my life. And that helps us to have joy. Mm-hmm. And like Daniel's the one soccer player who thinks <laughs> yeah, it. Yes. it does have joy and it brings you joy. Bill from chapter two. Oh, from chapter two, it's hard to get past the hymn, mm-hmm. uh, the hymn of verses six through 11. I think verse five is his kind of thesis statement on let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he uses what scholars believe are lyrics of an ancient hymn to unpack what it means to have the mind of Christ Mm -hmm. and how Christ, though he was equal with God, did not see that as something to be used for his own advantage, but he set aside the right to choose his own way and came in the form of a servant, a slave, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That, That even death on a cross, I think, again, in any kind of a context in the Roman empire would have been such a strong phrase because Mm. they saw crosses all the time. They knew what Mm. they were for. They weren't for decoration or jewelry. They were for torment and torture and to send a message to the community. This is what you get if you cross us. And so when he says, even death on a cross. Mm-hmm. That hymn ends with, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is yeah. Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a thanksgiving even at the end of that right. hymn. Chapter three, Daniel. Yeah, I think what's jumping out to me that maybe I was missing before is kind of an overall theme throughout the whole book Mm -hmm. that because we've walked through it together, I see that I didn't see just focusing on three. It starts in chapter one, verse 27, where it says, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Chapter two, he then goes on to describe what it looked like for Jesus to live out that life. Mm. And then a few others who lived out that life. Mm -hmm. And then chapter three, the theme of 
living against it, right? The like of where that. they actually mm-hmm. there's a few that are living as enemies of the cross mm-hmm. of Christ. And then how you kind of guided us early in chapter four through rejoicing always, letting our gentleness be known because Christ's near, not mm-hmm. worrying because Christ is near, mm-hmm. the peace of God overwhelming us, thinking about things that are pure and lovely and mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So I, I think it's the theme of living is what's jumping out to That's me. That's beautiful. Yeah, it seems like there are a bunch of themes. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a theme of joy mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Russell gave us in chapter one, theme of servanthood, theme of living a life of the gospel. But when you just read from Philippians 1, mm-hmm. Rasul, and he said, I thank God for your participation in the gospel, that directly connects us to chapter 4 that we've been looking at this in this session. Yeah. I almost want to string together a, a sentence, and I'm going to do it to, to see if it nudges us. Maybe this is the message. Together, rejoice because the Lord is near. He has given us the example, you know, and he's given us the ability and the satisfaction. Again, it starts, as, as Rasul pointed out, so warmly, and it ends so warmly. The last verses, 21 to 23, let's read them, and let's think about this as the conclusion of a thank you note, mm. a heartfelt mm-hmm. thank you note. Daniel, will you start us? Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Together rejoice. Mm -hmm. The Lord is near. He's shown us what to do. Paul is in prison and he has brothers and sisters with him. Paul Mm -hmm. is in prison and all of God's people with him send greetings, even those in Caesar's household. And why would that be important to the Philippians? Because they're a Roman colony. That's right. So there's believers with Paul. There's believers in the Roman colony. And for all of them together, rejoice, the Lord is near. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The Lord is near. But just in case there are some people, and sometimes we have a tendency of using that as cover to not engage with others, the church is near too. Mm -hmm. People Mm -hmm. are near too. We need to be together. And I think it's interesting. In verse two of chapter one, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Uh, That's the only way any of it works, Mm -hmm. right? The Lord is near because of grace. We can live together as brothers and sisters because of grace. It's, It's all there. Well, I do hope you've enjoyed this study series. I know we did. And I think we feel like we definitely have a better handle on the New Testament book of Philippians. That's what happens when we have one of these extended book studies where we take our time and stay focused on a single book of the Bible for, in this case, four episodes. For the past four Discover the Word podcasts, the team has been studying chapter by chapter through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we called the study Finding Joy in the Journey. Now, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the Scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And if you've benefited from these conversations and the way we engage the Scriptures together, and want to show your support for the mission of Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, then I hope you'll consider supporting us with a financial donation. When you do, you're partnering with us in telling the story of Jesus and making the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. 
Just visit discovertheword.org and click the Donate button to partner with us financially. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.